This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Last week, we did American Nazis. Today, we're going to be doing something a little happier. Yeah, a little bit on the other side of the spectrum, all right? A little bit of um, American symbols, right? The history of American symbols, not just a flag to honor, you know, Fourth of July and stuff like that, but just a lot of other symbols that are associated with the United States. I definitely wanted to get away from the the dark point of history. I guess some of the stuff could be dark, too, actually, some of the things we're going to talk about. But American history is dark sometimes. What can you say? But we're definitely going to be a little bit more... um, lighthearted in this one i was gonna say what's dark about american symbols i'm kind of curious now like what oh well, wait till we get to the one i just talked about before we came on oh well i guess so somewhat all right. somewhat all right um there's a bunch i mean when i thought of american symbols i initially thought of the flag well that's what we were going to do like, let's just do history of the flag and they were like well there's so many other things too let's right just get a whole bunch of them in here like oh yeah that's a symbol oh that's a symbol too oh yeah that's associated oh yeah that too like if you just google like american symbols just the images that pop up. Absolutely. And endless. Uh, before, I guess we start with a flag. All right. This is very important. I'm feeling there's all of these like flag terms. I do have a couple of friends that are like adult Boy Scouts. So don't get me started with that. But there's mm. also it's like all this special stuff with flag. So, you know, we want to make sure that we, um, you know, honor it. Right. So you have the Canton, which is the top inner part of the flag or the blue area where the stars are. Right. You have the field, which is the main body of the flag. You have the fly, which is the bottom length of the flag. You have the um, hail yard which is the rope or the cord used to raise and lower the flag. And then the hoist, which is the flag side or the width. And that's how you like, when they say you have to fold it on the hoist, when you, have, when you fold it into that triangle, if you ever saw that when you're taking down a flag or when a flag is presented to um, like a funeral yeah. a funeral or something like that, or when they remove it from a cat, that's how they, it's folded in a certain way. I know I actually have a flag in one of my rooms that I got that was actually hoisted over the Arizona Memorial in um, oh, that's cool. Hawaii. I got it when I went down there. It actually flew over on July 4th too. They fly a bunch, they sell them. You can buy yeah. them there. But like to have a flag that actually flew over the Arizona Memorial is, is in Pearl Harbor. It's, it's kind of cool. My little like part of American history there. That's kind of cool. But um, every time I see that, I'm always like, did it? Did well, it's signed by the Admiral of the Navy. So he's okay. Like, I, mean, I, so like, I mean, yeah. And you can see, I think they raise a flag and lower a flag like 14 times on it for all these different symbolizing the point. There's a lot of them there. You yeah. Know? So there, there's a lot. So they, they definitely flew there at some point. You know, but maybe only for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I know, I know. We were at like a Titanic exhibit and there was a, a, what do you call it, a picture frame. And in a corner, there was like a little window and and it was like dark charcoal. And it said, real call from the Titanic. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) What are they saying? I think we talked about this before. I don't get a little off topic, but like all the the pieces of the Berlin Wall that you can buy on eBay. I know. If you put it all all together, it's bigger than the Berlin Wall ever was. (laughs) It's it's that that thing too, but. You know, is what it is. All right. Yeah, like a few things about the American flag. First of all, there's a big contention of whether Betsy Ross really did make the first flag. Basically, the Continental Congress on June 14th, 1777, passes the first flag act, right? It is resolved that the flag of the United States be made. And it gets very specific. 13 stripes, alternate red and white, union be 13 stars, white, white and blue, and all that good stuff. There's a lot of symbolism to the flag that was initially placed there by this flag act in 1777. For those of you that kind of need to refresh your 1777, we're fighting the American Revolutionary War against England. And we need to create our own symbol because we have just declared independence in 76. Yeah, because, yeah, because we had a flag before that, right? Yes. We had some, originally, um, we used to fly the Union Jack, which is a British flag. 
Um, you yep. see that. And ben- Benjamin Franklin actually called a, a new flag committee when he wanted to create a new flag. This was in 1775. So right before mm-hmm. the revolution, they didn't want to totally shut off their connection to England. So they had this newer flag, which basically is very similar to the flag we have now, but it had a Union Jack in one of the corners with six white stripes, alternating with seven red stripes. And yep. it was, I think it was only put up a few times, like on New Year's Eve in uh, Massachusetts, and it became known as a Grand Union flag. And that was technically the first American flag. It's really kind of like a um, Jeopardy question, if anything yep. like that. But like you said, Pete, once the Declaration of Independence gets signed, like, no, we need a totally new one. We need, if they said it wasn't, it wouldn't be politically correct to still have the Union Jack somewhere on our flag. So we have to get yep. rid of it. Absolutely. And if you notice, the flag of the East India Company, which controlled all of India, is very, very similar to our flag. And that was actually designed on purpose because Ben Franklin and George Washington themselves kind of had this conversation. And at one point, George Washington is quoted as saying that while the field of your, you know, our flag must be new in details of design, it doesn't need to be entirely new in its elements. And they looked at the East India Company flag, which again had the white and red stripes, except where our stars would be, it has the England flag in there. They like that because East India Company kind of was independently allowed to control India while it still showed it's somewhat... or England. Uh, The roots, yeah, in our, in our roots, roots in like, where we came from. Yes, that's where the colors exactly. are similar and stuff like that. Basically put this together and there was a lot of like discussion. You feel there's a war going on. The last thing you should be worried about is like a flag. Yep. But like that's really what they're worried about, like the design of the flag. So they decide it's going to be like a square flag, right, with red and white stripes, 13 stars represent yep. all the colonies. But there are a lot of problems like should it be a five-point star? Should it be a four-point star? Should the stars be in rows? Should they be in circles, right? Um, you had an argument over whether or not it should be start with a red stripe or start with a white stripe. And that one, it actually settled pretty quickly when they realized that from a distance, it was easier to see a flag if it started with a red stripe first. They kind of like box it out and started, started starting with a white stripe first. So there yeah. were all these different designs. And you can actually, I guess there might be still, still be out there, these early designs. The first American flag, really, until there's like a committee that kind of decides what they're going to do with it. And like you said before, there's no proof that Betsy Ross actually sold the first flag. That was kind of one of those like, things they knew that she was approached for a flag design and they most historians believe she might have had something to do with coming up with a five point star because she demonstrated you know how easy it was to make it when you fold a certain way like how how we can make it look and stuff like that well that first idea of uh, whether she did it or not was actually brought forth by her grandson william canby in 1870 so it's like 100 years later the grandson says hey actually my grandma was the first one to sew this flag and Historians, specifically the Historical Society of Pennsylvania, where this was brought up, really did extensive research on it. And she did sew a flag, but was it the first flag? Yeah, we, they don't know. Yeah, she definitely sewed flags. Yeah. Yes. And she did suggest a couple of changes, right? Uh, arranging the stars in a circle initially and reducing the points on each star to five instead of six. We know that for a fact. Whether she did the first flag, uh, again, that's her grandson's claim 100 years later. And it's really no documentation whatsoever that could be found to confirm that she was responsible for creating the very first flag. Nonetheless, as the flag is created, all those colors and everything has symbolism to it. Again, it's the main symbol of the country. It's our flag. The 13 stripes obviously represent the original 13 colonies. Number of stars in the flag represent the number of states in the Union, obviously. The stars on the blue field represent the creation of a new constellation. That's the whole premise of the stars. The red symbolizes hardiness and valor. The white symbolizes purity and innocence. And the blue represents vigilance, perseverance, and justice. So there is there is a lot of thought that went into why well, yeah. this flag is the way it is. And plus, the flag also changed over time. Like, as, as America changed, so did the flag. Like, every time we got a new state, there was a new star. You know, after the Civil War, there was a lot of people that got angry. A lot of the um, Northerners wanted to remove 
the states that succeeded from the union flag, flag mm -hmm. but Lincoln disagreed and said, no, we have to keep the union together, so we're not going to do that. So there's a whole bunch of different times. There was a movement to get Washington, D.C. to draw up rules, get D.C. to have a star on the flag, right? Make it, make it a yeah. state and have that. So it's all these different times that they wanted to do it. It's been unchanged since 1960. Last time the flag code was updated yeah. was 1976, when they update like what to do with a flag, like, yes. to dispose of a flag, how to fold the flag. Last time that was updated was 76 for the um, bicentennial. Absolutely. And this is 27th design that we have currently on the flag. All right. So let's uh, let's go from, you know, we know about Betsy Ross. We did that flag. Let's go to our next one. What would what would you say would be our next one? The Great oh, Seal? I think it was going to be the Great Seal of the Eagle. Uh, well, I think the Eagle and the Great Seal, they, they kind of play along with one another. Right, so let's do Eagle that moves into the Great Seal, right? Because you can't have that. We talk about all the debate that happened about the flag. There's, there's just as much debate when it comes to the Eagle. Which is part, which eventually becomes also part of the Great Seal. Yes, yes, so yes. it took six years of arguing for the founding fathers to come up with a national emblem. Everybody knows that Benjamin Franklin originally wanted the turkey because it was like um, domestic. He said it was useful and stuff like that. I guess tasty also, but it just wasn't like impressive. I guess to be put on things like you know, seeing like a, a turkey. You can imagine today if like that was our national bird, I you know people kind of like I don't know yeah. laugh at us. I guess I mean I, it is what it is. I wouldn't laugh, laugh at it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, but then you're eating it too on Thanksgiving. Like just kind of like but, a uh, yeah, thing, yeah, you're right. You're right. A lot of other nations were also using eagles. So that's kind of like why See, they were like, let's do something different. And he also said, listen, eagles are a, a bird of bad moral character because they like they're scavengers. They'll steal food from other birds, you know, and stuff like that. So they, there was different types of eagles. They eventually make the compromise in 1782. They choose the bald eagle, all right, rather than the golden eagle, which was most commonly used by other countries. And because they said, well, the bald eagle was unique to North America and was not used by any other countries, all right? But it still had that like, noble you know impressive nobility look so because of that it becomes a natural symbol and what's odd about that is it actually almost becomes extinct the national yep. eagle at one point because we were using ddt and chemicals in 1940 congress actually passed a law forbidding killing or capturing of bald eagles because it's the national symbol and then with the banning of ddt in 1973 it's made a huge comeback in in america and they yeah, it's no longer endangered eagles. it's now it's now threatened it's no longer it's threatened. yeah well it's always going to be somewhat in danger i guess because of habitat loss and just people coming in the numbers aren't going to be what they were but there's there's a healthy population of them because i think bald eagles too they mate for life yeah so that so it's kind of like if one goes and it's kind of like a problem so that's sort of about bald eagle and then that leads into the great seal if you want to take over that piece. it does yeah just kind of going with the eagle idea they chose the bolt because initially the seal, when they were designing the seal, because they need a seal, right? For official need, documents, be, yes, so on and so that. forth. Your country right. need that. That's it. Yes. So the idea was like, well, they initially had a white eagle, I think. Eagle itself was holding 13 olive branches in like one talent and then 13 arrows in the other, right? In the, the two talents. And it'll change the, the time of war. It'll change. Yes. And it was like the idea of like power to make peace while also the arrows will stand for the power to make war, olive branch and the arrows. But the guy that was tasked with designing the seal is the one that actually changed it from the white eagle to the bold eagle because as you mentioned before he said well that's it was believed at a time that the eagle was would only existed rather in the north american continent so it's like all right it's specific to our continent it only exists and they also said long life great strength majestic looks all these are all things why the guy changed it but well, it looks cool and eagles look cool like they just do yeah. you ever see an eagle flying like they just they look like, cool, like, cool. <laughs> i mean whatever it is isn't it like the eagle's beak Clutches like a banner, and it says in Latin, um, "Out of many, one." Out of many, well, yeah. Um, these guys just represent like, the colonies coming together, all the different cultures coming together. So it's supposed to mean a lot of different things. Everything means something, right? The, the eye means the uh, all-seeing eye of divine providence, right? Yeah. That, that's on the back of the seal. Same thing with the um, the, Latin, the letters, the M D C C L X X V I, stand for seventeen seventy six. 
which yep. is Roman numeral like decoration of independence. So all these little things are all located there. Right, the bottom of the mm-hmm. shield represents 13 states united in support of like the blue bar at the top of the shield, which is the chief, which like unites the whole and represents Congress. The colors are also those are the same that were used in the flag, alternating red and white for the important balance between innocence and valor. Like that's kind of what they were going there, like vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Eagles Towns, you mentioned, hold the symbols of being able to wage war, but also be peaceful. And then this is, we should really do a podcast on that, because the reverse side of the seal bears a familiar Masonic right motif of a pyramid, mm-hmm. um, which the designer, Charles Thompson, said that it was a symbol of strength and duration. And the pyramid, like the new nation, is unfinished and frequently depicted as having 13 steps for the original states. The eye floating, as you mentioned, providence, God, all that stuff, masonry, yeah, right? Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of symbolism there, without a doubt, yeah. So yeah, so the seal's pretty much uh, agreed upon. June 20th, 1782, Congress officially adopts the Great Seal of the United States after years of discussion. Um, and the official design is credited to Charles Thompson. So all right, so Eagle stems from the fact that Charles Thompson decided to include Bold Eagle on his seal, which is what kind of led to the Bold Eagle becoming the... Yeah, yeah. Once that's put there, they're like, okay. Like I said, it looks cool. It pops. No other country had used the Bald Eagle. Other ones did use the Eagle, but not the Bald Eagle. So let's go with it. Let's run with it. And I think that's kind of a good segue too, because that's our national bird is the Bald Eagle. But we have a national mammal. And you kind of mentioned something about that. Yes, we do have a national mammal. And that's important because right now, July is National Bison Month. Yep. So it's a base, and it became the. It only it was pretty recent. It only became the national mammal of the U.S. I don't even know countries did this, in in 2016. So it was yeah, pretty recent that. where it became the national mammal of the U.S. It's always been a symbol. Like you think of like the buffalo quarters and stuff like that. You think of like the plains. You know, um, it's always think of buffalo. Um, and it's because there was such a huge number. Like less than 200 years ago, there was what 360 million bison existed, but by the late 1800s. They were pretty much on the verge of extinction. That's what we were talking about before, kind of that dark history right there. If you look at some of those images of just like thousands, maybe millions of bison skulls like stacked on top of each other, right? And the hunter like standing on top of it. You could yep. just ride trains and just shoot them and stuff like that uh, for not even just for food, just for sport a lot of the time. So at one point, it was less than 1,000 remained. It was actually Teddy Roosevelt in 1905 created the American Bison Society, and they kind of worked together to save them from extinction. Like we need to save this wildlife. Um, and they started putting together national parks, conservation efforts, right? Such as Yellowstone National Park, which you know you've been to, right, Pete? Yeah. And so actually, so Yellowstone, believe it or not, has the largest population of free roaming bison today. Yeah, I think there's like around thirty thousand just there. Like that's, yeah. a, I mean, not no nowhere compared to the numbers that they were. He says about fifty thousand, about five hundred thousand are in like zoos, and then he has a whole bunch of you know scattered around the whole country too. So they're all over the place. You know, they made a nice comeback somewhat, you know, not, not what they were before because of so many lands were taken over for farming and stuff like that. But it is the icon of American history. They said it's a story of conservation success and also like pulling a species back from the brink. And that's one reason why it's recognized as a national mammal of the U.S. Because also if a bison's are there, it shows that it's like a healthy landscape, healthy community. And a lot of people lately have gotten in trouble. I remember seeing online about like trying to take pictures with bisons. It's like they're not fuzzy cows, you know? Yeah, no. They will mess no. you up. So... <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting too. When you are in Yellowstone, like they take precedence over people. So if they're walking through a street, yeah. you stop. The traffic stops. They have that's their natural habitat. You gonna have to chill to the side and wait. And this is very sad because the Native Americans lived off the buffalo well, and used was, every aspect. That was their thing. Yeah, of the buffalo. They literally, when they killed the buffalo, it, 
every single piece of that animal was used for something versus when the quote unquote white American population got there and started shooting them for sport. The native Americans didn't understand while they were killing off their Buffalo and just kind of leaving it to rot. Like, Oh, we shot one. They didn't care. Yeah. So it's just kind of insane. Or they would Um, take the head. That's brilliant. That's right. So just like the national mammal became a national mammal in May of 2016, some of these other ones were, I feel like we're going to go to besides the flag and the bird and the seal have kind of been created and, and made into national symbols as time progressed in American history, right? Uh, the only one other one that is somehow, I think, connected to the original creation of the nation would be the Liberty Bell. Yeah, right? which has an interesting story in its own right. Well, because I think the Liberty Bell that we have in Philadelphia right now is not the Liberty Bell, right? Well, it all starts in 1751, right? That's when they they celebrate the 50th anniversary of the colonies. Um, So this bell was loaded to the Pennsylvania State House, and there was a lot of excitement. People came to hear it, and then they struck it, and they heard like a clank, and then this huge crack opened up. So you have these two people, John Pass and John Stowe, not John Snow. He's not, this isn't the (laughs) winter, whatever. Yeah, the no winter guy. and they said they could fix it. So they, they broke it into bell a bunch of pieces, melted it down, recast it. They added some copper. And then in 1773, here we go, the new bell. People again gathered together. <laughs> they, they clang it. It just clunk. Nothing happened. They're like, oh, we got to fix it again. So they take it. They melt it down again. This time they add a bunch of tin. And then it still didn't work. They recast it again. And then the tone was better, but it didn't like meet the people's expectation. They've seen this big bell. I think it was, I guess, ringing bells back in the 1700s was like a big deal. Yeah, like there, wasn't, no, there yeah. wasn't really much else going on. So it rang for the state house petitions and the people just didn't like the sound of it. It kind of was ignored. And then the inscription on Liberty Bell, which reads, uh, proclaim liberty throughout all the land and all the inhabitants, therefore. It gained kind of significance during the Declaration of Independence and it was rung on July 8, 1776. That's kind of how it gets tied in with the um, American Revolution. Yep. Right? It was actually hidden during the Revolutionary War. People knew about this, right? In the church nearby to protect it from the British troops who would probably would have melted it down for ammunition. And then when the British left, the bell returned. They rang it on um, July 4th and on special occasions. The Capitals moved to D.C. It stayed in Philadelphia, which is a big yeah. deal. And it was rang in remembrance of the death of Supreme Court Justice John Marshall. It cra- and that's when it cracked again. And people were getting upset. So the, uh, And this was in 1835. So the Philadelphia Council said, all right, we need to like – they actually said, we're just going to get rid of the bell. We're going to toss it in the garbage and get a new one. But the reason that didn't happen isn't because of like strong patriotic feeling. It's just there wasn't money for a new bell. It was more expensive to haul the old one away. So the bell just kind of like hung around there for years and they just wouldn't ring it. Well, in in 1846, the city city decided to repair the bell, right? Because it was like George Washington's birthday. They wanted to ring it. They want, yeah, a newspaper man remembered uh, the bell and said we should ring it to celebrate George Washington's birthday. And they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's that's good. It cracked again. It yeah, they again. did get out these metal workers to actually widen the thin crack to prevent it from further spreading. So they thought by widening it, it would be better. And then it restores like the tone of the bell using a technique called stop drilling. The white crack in the Liberty Bell that you see now is this the repair job. Like it was made wider, so it stopped cracking more. But even then, it was not successful. No, I still was cracking. And they were like, all right, we just can't ring this thing again. It just wasn't yeah. made right. So about 100 years later, right, by the time the United States made its 100th anniversary, people were really getting like sentimental about anything connected with nation's history because, you know, we were still like a young nation. Yep. So the Pennsylvania State House was now being called Independence Hall. And the Liberty Bell was placed there on display. And on January 76, as part of the um, bicentennial, the bell was moved to its own glass case across from the hall. It's still there. 
the rest is history. Yeah. Do you know that no one living today has heard the bell ringing freely? With well, I think what they do, yeah, not freely. They do like gently tap it with a mallet. Occasionally, like they'll do that for special occasions, but they don't actually like ring it. Ring it. Ring it. It's just kind of like they just kind of tap it, like like more of a symbol than than anything else. Well, the computer model provided like clues on what it would sound like. They kind of scanned the whole thing. Yeah, and yeah, put it in. yeah. So you, we have an idea of what it sounded like in 1700s, but that's that's computer created AI stuff. Which is but still yeah, a no, cool story, I guess. I guess it's, it's still a cool story. Just like why did this thing? They, and they were going to throw it out. That's that's like to think of how much history that was thrown out. These people were just like, yeah, we don't need this. You know, Nuts. but it's just too much money to haul this thing. We're like, all right, fine, we'll keep it. Right. And normally the bell itself, like when the, each town or city had a bell and it would ring when it was time for news, uh, yeah. either to get yeah, ministers, gather around. Yeah. Uh, gathering around any form of gathering of ministers or just like a, it, it, was like a, it was like a, the tweet of the 1750s. Exactly. They do believe that the bell that is Philadelphia right now is the one that potentially did ring on Declaration of Independence Day, which was July 8th, 1776, to kind of let people know that we declared independence. Now, in 1830s, the abolitionists actually adopted the bell as a symbol for their struggle to abolish slavery. So it further added the symbolism to the bell itself. And they're the ones that popularized the name Liberty Bell. It was actually more associated not with liberty from the British in 1700s, but became known really as a Liberty Bell more so because of the abolition movement and you know ending of slavery, liberty. And between 1885 and 1915, the bell traveled all over in exhibitions and patriotic events. Um, they would be like borrowed and taken out before it kind of was kept where it is today at the Liberty Bell Center. And you guys can see it. Did you see it? I saw I've it. I've seen the Liberty Bell. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've seen the Liberty Bell. I've seen you wait those. a long time to go see it. It's always a big line. Like you know, people want to see it. They want to get their picture, you know, and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's a part of American history. Everyone's heard about it since they were little kids. Which one do you want to go to next? Because there's a few, I mean, we could go to National Anthem. We do that quick. People know this one. But then we could also go to the Pledge of Allegiance, which... To the Pledge, then we'll go to National Anthem, and then we have to do Uncle Sam and the Statue of Liberty. And then we can All right. maybe... Perfect. One or two Pledge of Allegiance. I That is one of my earliest memories in the United States. I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast. I might have. Now you better but, say it, man. Well, now I have to say it. <laughs> but when, when I came to the U.S. in elementary school... Um, so I didn't speak a word of English, right? Big Bird is really kind of how I learned English, just watching, you know, PBS. But I remember my first day of school, we arrived in the summer. So again, very limited, if pretty much no English. I go to my first day of school and within like the first 10 minutes, I'm super scared. I don't speak English. And within the first 10 minutes, you know, the announcements go on and everyone stands up and they start saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? So like I got up and here I am standing there and I'm like, I don't want to look stupid. So I'm like, I don't know the words. And I'm thinking to myself, like, was there a si- like a summer assignment? Like, how did they know this poem? Like, were we supposed to learn it over the summer? Like, I had no idea what the actual Pledge of Allegiance was, like the actual symbol of it. I'm like, what is this? Because you didn't have that in communist Poland. But the irony yeah. of this, no, the irony of this, that the actual Pledge of Allegiance that was written in 1892, it was written by a socialist named Francis Bellamy. And it was originally published in a youth's companion in September of 1892. And Bellamy hoped that the pledge would be used by citizens of any country, which is the irony. So I could have been saying yeah. this in Poland. Yeah. So what it was, I guess he had just wanted me to say the old pledge. Yeah, it was the pledge. old one. Yeah. yeah. Has written, it says, I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So similar. Yeah. Right? It's going to be very similar. I know this still be my, my 
um, four-year-old recently, they had like, it's like America, I don't, it wasn't, I don't know what it was, but they had to, um, I guess America day at school, you know, yeah. like right towards the end, all the kids had, it came up and they actually said not only their Pledge of Allegiance, they also said the preamble to the constitution. Oh, so wow. My, that's, yeah. That's so my four-year-old had memorized the preamble. So he's walking around the house, like saying the preamble to the constitution. I'm like, Dude, that's okay. more than probably like, that's more than probably. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I have students, I, I have students in AP gov that probably don't know the preamble to the constitution, but. I learned it from the, the song. Remember? Uh, the, oh my um, goodness. The um, ah, Schoolhouse Rock. Schoolhouse Rock. Rock. Yes, Schoolhouse Rock. The words that pledge allegiance right to my flag were changed to the flag of the United States of America yeah. in 1923. Yeah, that's when yeah DC decided to change the words. They decided to do that. Yeah. It was later also changed in 1954 in response to the communist threat. President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words "under God." Yeah. Um, that creates the 31 word pledge we kind of know today. Uh, Bellamy's daughter objected to this alteration. Initially, she thought she's like, no, that's not how my father intended it. Um, this whole God indivisible and all that stuff. But hey, it's stuck. There's a lot of rules with the Pledge of Allegiance and they have changed over the years. But oh, yeah, I remember when I was in school, you had to say it like you had to stand up and say it. Every day, like it became very just that's what you did every morning. And for those of our listeners that are not in education, just so you guys know, students no longer have to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. No, then I think it used to be you had to at least stand and acknowledge. I remember for a while it was like you you could didn't have to say it, right? Yeah. But you had to stand up and acknowledge the flag. And then it became, no, you don't have to do that either. Yep. No, literally uh, our students could sit and not say anything yeah they're not supposed to text (laughs) yeah right i've had some students over the years that have not you know done anything just sat but for the most part like i'm pretty loud when i say it you know when i get up i'm like i pledge allegiance like i try to get everyone into it yeah 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 we're history teachers too we're history (laughs) teachers yeah yeah. oh my it's like my highlight of the day when i hear that i'm like ah i pledge allegiance yeah anyway sure uh, so anyway so some rules with regards to this right standing at attention facing the flag right hand over your heart but when not in uniform men should remove any non-religious headdress that's kind of what it was right with their right hand and hold it in the left shoulder so if you have a hat the hand Mm. being over the heart persons in uniform should remain silent face the flag and render the military salute so if you're you know uniform you got a salute the original uh, Bellamy salute, first described in 1892 by Francis Bellamy, said that after reciting the words to the flag, the arm was then, if you were given the Pledge of Allegiance, the arm was then extended toward the flag, kind of like in like a Hitler salute. Yeah, that's why they kind of stopped doing that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because um, it didn't they really, yeah, if you ever see pictures of that, like it's, it looks, yeah, it looks like a Nazi salute, but it's with the American flag, but it's not a Nazi salute. The Nazis didn't even exist at the time. No. But once the Nazis started doing that, it's also why it kind of shifted. So let's place your hand over your heart. You know, let's yeah. not, let's, let's not, not do, let's not do that. Let's, let's not have that visual. Nah. You know? <laughs> and it's crazy though, because if you look at pictures from 1920s, like kids are just like Hitler saluting to the American flag. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but again, Hitler was a nobody then. So no one really, no, did. it wasn't what it was because see, we always come back to the Nazis somehow. I don't know. It's we just always come back to the beating up on the Nazis. All right. So like, in God We Trust, President Dwight Eisenhower approved the joint resolution in 84th Congress declaring that In God We Trust could be the official natural motto of the United States of America. This was kind of concurrent with when he added under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. So this motto actually took over the initial motto, like e plu, uh, pluribus unum, I guess. Yeah, e pluribus unum. Um, which had been in use since the initial 1776 design of the Great Seal. And from that point forward, In God We Trust became our motto, 1956. 
All right, so national anthem. I think we could just bang this one out quick. We all know we this. talked about it. Also, we talked about it in our coverage of the War of eighteen twelve. So just go absolutely. Back. Yeah. So it, it's all you have to know is that Francis Scott Key wrote a poem called "A Star Spangled Banner." That poem is eventually turned into a song using music from an old English drinking song, which is um, apparently a very difficult song too. It's I, I mean, I guess people sing it just to sing it, but it's not. They said 99% of Americans don't have the quality of voice to actually sing it how it's supposed to be sung. Yep. Unless you are Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Then I think like Leanna or, Rhymes, I think, sang a really good version. And what's the name did an awesome job last year? Chris Stapleton. It did not become our official national anthem. People don't know this. Until yeah. 1931. It was during mm-hmm. the Great Depression when the president... Um, when we were running for election, you were you had FDR was running for election. There was ideas that like we need something to unite the people, and there was a lot of discussion of whether America the Beautiful, right? Like which one should become the national anthem? And and again in 1931, it was voted on and decided that the Star Spangled Banner would become our national anthem. And the flag that actually inspired it, the one that flew over Fort McHenry, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That Francis Scott saw is actually in the Smithsonian Museum. That actual flag that he yep. that flew over the fort. So you can see the flag that inspired. The poem that led to the national anthem being written. Yep. Kind of like a connection connection there. Ta-da. All right. What else you got? What's another symbol we got? I think one that's definitely a symbol people know about. It's gotta be Uncle Sam. Of right? course. So most people think of Uncle Sam as the you know old guy with a top hat, long beard with the finger, saying, you know, we want you. Um, so there's a lot of debate, like was he actually real or not? Uh, one belief that there was a man named Sam Wilson. Uh, that was actually from Arlington, Massachusetts in 1766. He might have been the inspiration for it. There were 13 kids in the family. He was number seven. And they, they were all very patriotic. He worked in the meatpacking industry. He was tall and lean, but he never had a beard. So that's why people weren't sure. But he did, always, he did always stand out in a crowd, they said, because he was pretty tall and loud yeah. and very patriotic. So they think he became known as Uncle Sam through his nieces and nephews. And he used to supply uh, pork and beef to the army during the War of 1812. So they think he, he also became a meat inspector. So they think that name kind of got, he's this Uncle Sam. He's the, he's the meat guy, you know? Yeah. So the battles of meat he inspected personally from his factory would say U.S. states on it, but later would just say U.S. So all people just took that, oh, this, is, this meat is from Uncle Sam. And that's just kind of, kind of how the name with his company just kind of like got out there. Yeah, but the whole – so Uncle Sam's been around in, in political cartoons for quite a while. Yeah, that's how the uh, name but, probably got – yeah, and the cartoon image, Red, White, and Blue, came uh, – didn't first appear until 1830. That was the first time he appeared in yep. like cartoons, like you said. Or And then James Flagg's 1917 posters, the one you probably ever wanted to – That's one everyone knows as, about. As, as Uncle Sam, yeah. This one was actually borrowed from an old British poster. You had the Lord Kitchener poster three years earlier that was trying to get Britons and British people in World War One to enlist. And it was the same thing. He was pointing out and the same thing, like, you know, wants you. And except the Americans took it and threw Uncle Sam in it, and it became, I want you for the U.S. Army, nearest recruiting station, and that's World War One. But it was that image of him pointing at you is actually borrowed from a British image. da 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 like there's been some criticism of the Uncle Sam saying, you know, it's not representing diversity and stuff like that culture. Um, in 1961, Congress did pass a special resolution accepting Uncle Sam Wilson of Troy, New York, the one we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And what I talked about as the namesake behind Uncle Sam. And they September 13th is now known as Uncle Sam Day in New York State. So hmm. they, they they say, well, they're, they're following that thing. But everyone, when you see Uncle Sam, you know it. You see those pictures from World War One, World War Two, the top hat. Okay. The, the very patriotic. Like for July place, there's always someone dressed up as Uncle Sam. Right. Like I think there's only a few left. I mean, I'm sure we could probably come up with some other ones. Uh, oh, but Statue of Liberty, I think we, we have to do Statue of Liberty. I got to do Statue right? of Liberty. 
So the Statue of Liberty was a gift from the people of France to the people of the United States. We know that. Uh, sculptor Frederick Bertholdi yes. uh, was asked to design uh, the actual statue for America's 100th birthday in 1876. The issue was that France was like, we're going to give you this statue. And Americans were like, where do we put it? Um, well, they wanted to give it because uh, they decided in 1865 to actually do that because they wanted to show support of the assassination of Lincoln. And then they decided and it's going to take time to do it. And they're like, all right, well, the 100th birthday is coming up. We'll have this statue done by then. Yeah, but we're like, where are you going to put it? We, we never asked for this. You know? Exactly. So, and yeah, it's so. not like it's a small thing. You could like, oh, let's put yeah. it in the corner. Yeah. So we had initially many problems with raising money for the base itself. Like, where do, like, where do we do it? So once it was decided that it was going to go in New York Harbor, and from that point forward, you had massive fundraising to try to raise enough money. In, in France, in France. So yeah. they're trying to raise money in France. Like we're milling this for the people of America. So that was for the actual uh, stature. But for the for the base itself, those fundraisers were in the United States. Yeah. It was like, all right, they're giving us this. We need a base and yeah. took forever. It set the project back 10 years because- they Yes, it, it was not going to be ready in time. Couldn't <laughs> get the money to actually build the base for this thing. But on October 28th, 1886, the Statue of Liberty officially opened in New York Harbor. Today, it greets travelers from New York and inspires all who look upon Lady Liberty. I mean, this really is an American symbol, no question about it. Well, you see, yeah, it becomes bigger with, the, with a lot of the immigration coming from Europe, right, during the 1800s. Yeah. That's the first thing they come, right? Liberty Island, which was closed for a number of years. It only recently opened up again between yeah. COVID and after, even after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, they closed down for a while, um, right? It was copper sheets replaced on the molds. Um, that's why they became oxenized, right? That's why they're Which is why it looks Originally, they were like they look like a penny at yeah. first. They liberty. Yeah, I've been there a couple times. I'm sure you've been there yeah. too. You can't you can't times. go into. I don't think you can even go in the crown anymore. You, you couldn't go into the just to go inside. You need to order ahead. You need to. Actually... Oh yeah, you can't even. You can't go on the uh, in the torch anymore. That was like stopped in like the 1900s, early 1900s. So. Well, yeah. there was like a fire, and they just never repaired the staircase. So they yes. never fixed that, but then, and they did fix, well, they also fixed the torch too at one point. I know the original torches on the eighties. Like they, they remember they had yeah, like a scaffold had, around the whole they had, thing. They had to redo it. Yeah. Because they had a, so the original torches, I think in like the base where you can see it, there's a new torch up there. You used to be able to go to the crown. I don't think you're allowed in the statue itself at all anymore. Like you yeah. said, maybe special times. But the probably the famous thing is it's often called the new Colossus and on such Libby's holding book, right? And on it, I'll describe the words from Emma Larges' poem. And it says, give me your tired, your poor, your hubble masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these to homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So it's kind of like the entryway into the United States, right? Land of opportunity. Yeah. You want to be cynical. There's so much that. Symbolism be cynical, there. but there's so much yeah. symbolism. Yeah, it's on the five, there's five points coming off the base. You have the tablet in her left hand, obviously inscribes mm -hmm. July 4th, 1776, right? Recognizes the creation yeah. of the United States of America. The seven rays of her crown represent the seven continents of the earth. Mm -hmm. Then at her feet are broken chains and shackles. They represent the throwing off of tyranny and oppression. Then you have the torch as a symbol of liberty itself, right? The source of the statue's official name, Liberty Enlightening the World. That's the actual name of Statue of Liberty, mm -hmm. Liberty Enlightening the World. And she's striding forward, symbolic of leading the way and lighting the path of liberty and freedom. What were you saying about the five things? That's the base? The five, yeah, that's the base of the, just the five points. So it's like it's like a star, if you actually yeah. would see it from, from above. I mean, I, I can't. What, what else? Well, you there's, a, there's plenty of other ones. Like there's Mount Rushmore, obviously. Well, Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, want to do that one? We could do that with Well, five. I mean, we can just give you a little bit of symbolism. We don't think about it. But like, you know, so it's Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Roosevelt. That's always a question I always ask my students. Like kind of like a trivia, like well, who are the presidents on Mount Rushmore? You'd be surprised how often they don't know. But yeah. Washington is there for his role in creating the Constitution. Jefferson is there for the Declaration of Independence and Louisiana Purchase. 
Lincoln is there for leading the country to the Civil War. And then Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt is there for part making the Panama Canal and linking the two oceans together. And the idea was they were supposed to be, I think, full body at one point, right? They were. Just, or at least the torso. It was supposed to be but, the torso. But that was going to take way too long. And there's always, they left room, there's always talk about adding another face right there. Political age, imagine trying to figure well, out. Could never, you're never going to get a president that's going to support it. And even back then, it was kind of like um, who should be on it and stuff like that. Well, people um, are upset with Teddy. They're like, why does Teddy get on here? Like, how does Teddy compare well, to also, the Sioux Indians? Indians were, the Sioux Indians were very up. The Sioux Indians were very upset. Still are, was, yeah. still are, yeah, because it was a sacred. There was a sacred ground. It was sacrilege. You know, other people thought it was like an eyesore. It was all made as a. Um, again, we say American symbolism, but really, it was made as a tourist destination, right? Yep, I've been there, and it's it's a pretty big tourist trap. You know, there's like, not much else. Nothing there, else right? there. Nothing. Yeah. Else there. No, that's no. really it. I mean, it's still cool, nonetheless, but not not much yeah. there. I don't know why I didn't notice. I almost like feel embarrassed. What's the national flower of the United States? I'm not really sure. See, exactly. I didn't know we had a national flower. It's the rose. It oh, was yes, designated yes. as the official flower, right? An emblem of the United States of America in 1986. So it is fairly recent, I guess. And they say that it's because it grows naturally throughout North America and it blooms in several colors, including red, pink, white, or yellow. You know, it's a symbol of love, beauty, war, and politics all over the world. So why not, right? Several of the 50 states have also adopted the rose as the official state flower. So New York, Oklahoma, Georgia, Iowa, and North Dakota. Yeah. I had no idea that the rose was well, the What's the national tree? Oh, dude. Oh, wait. Oak. Oak. It's the oak tree. Yeah. That, which, which makes sense, obviously. That so. does make sense. And the other and ones we all basically covered. Yeah. I think that's pretty much all the American. Yeah, I mean, there's other things. Like there's memorials. Obviously, we're not going to get into memorials. That can be another separate pop. Of like course. The memorial, Jeff's memorial. That's, that's all different things. And there's going to be a bunch of other things out there that scream, you know, hot dog and hamburgers, fireworks. I was going to say that. Like, can you think of like modern social? Think of like modern social symbols or cultural symbols of America. Modern cultural symbols of America. Go. Hot dog. Yeah, baseball. yeah, it's, it's going to be a baseball, the uh, food, you know, things like that, the fireworks, the exploding fireworks, True. You, think, you know, so, certain are, are coinage, right, and stuff like that. It's really going to be your context, too. Some people who are anti-American Dutchess here around the world are going to see different, going to say different things, you know, so. You Would know. you say if you had to choose a car, the American car, I would say Corvette or Mustang? I'd yeah, I was, was going to say Mustang, yeah. Yeah, so right. that could be a symbol. The, right, you could say, you know, the Harley Davidson, right? Right. Be like inspiration stuff like that. We live in an age too that now um, symbols are being attacked, just like a lot of other history is being attacked. Um, well, some of it you can argue some of the symbols were definitely don't hold up over time. Like imagine well, if you yeah. still saluted, like saluted the flag the old way. Well, that's that's <laughs> why we tweaked <laughs> like it. We tweaked it. Yeah. yeah, so there's tweaks, there's changes. So some yeah. things are, I guess, easier to change than others, and some things people want to change. Some people say some things people don't want to change. So exactly, that's all. Well, hopefully this was educational. People out there, a little little fun, you know, happening in the background. You know, when next year when you're cooking up some uh, hot dogs or something, or next time you're barbecuing this summer, right? You'd be like, not? "Did you know? Did you know? Yeah, do some, yeah, make sound, make yourself sound smart when you're trying that's to right, entertain that's your right, guests. That's, right. that's all." And make sure you know you say like, you know, you guys should listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Yeah, download, uh, download. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, just before we uh, let you go um, this week, we want to let you know that we do have merch. A merch store just opened <laughs> on our website. You guys could buy T-shirts, sweatshirts, and so on and so forth. I already got some of mine. My wife's just like, well, you can't wear history teachers talking stuff every single day. And I'm like, why well, I bought enough Why? stuff. For so it's a free day. country. 
I, I know. I, I know, this right? Is, like, I've got enough. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I have, yeah, I have too much stuff now. Um, if you guys visit our website, uh, it is there. If you ever want to visit our website, it is www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. You can email us from there. You can listen to our podcast from there. Uh, it actually has links to all of our social media. So if you guys want to go and follow any of those accounts, you can do that as well. And it now has our merchandise store. So, you know, if you want to, represent us in any way shape or form and get yourself a t-shirt why not and i guess that's it right tom um i that's think that pretty good. much yes. covers it mm-hmm. that's pretty much covers it so Absolutely. thank you so much again for listening guys and we'll see you again next week stay safe everybody I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com.